Good evening, everyone. Uh, congratulations on 15 years. I want you to know, if you don't know this already, the Lord Jesus loves his church. When you become a Christian, you are brought from darkness into light, from death to life, and you are brought into the community of God's people. You are brought into the body of Christ. The New Testament doesn't know anything really about individual Christians. It, it knows about the church of Jesus Christ. And so it is no strange thing that you would be part of a church. Now, we live in a day and age when a lot of people hate the church. And there are people who, frankly, have been in churches that have hurt them. There are stories told of abuse, sexual abuse, and harm, and uh, manipulation by preachers and leaders and oppression of women and all kinds of things, horrible things in churches. Nevertheless, Jesus died for his church. And he is about the business of gathering people in the world into these, these fellowships, into these communions of which you are one. And just as the seven churches in Revelation, they were a lampstand. And the Lord Jesus walked among the lampstands. And Jesus has the power to take your lampstand away. But he wants that lamp to burn brightly for his glory. And I thank God for you. I thank the Lord that your lamp is burning bright and is still burning. And you ought, to be, you ought to commit your heart and your prayers and your effort that this church would be a glory to Christ and not a shame. Amen? He loves his church. You, that means we ought to love it too. And so uh, I really, as a pastor, frankly, I get upset when I go around the country and I often get to hear other preachers and I'll hear somebody get up and he'll spend the first 15 minutes trying to make sure people know Jesus is not the church. And he'll bash the church and, and, and in a way of trying to get people to love Jesus. But I sit there thinking, you know, if you love a bridegroom, why would you diss his bride? It's not a good idea. You don't go to a man in love and tell him how bad his wife is. That's a way, sure enough way to lose a friend. Jesus knows his wife. He knows it better than you do. And he has every intention of, of smoothing out all the wrinkles and cleaning up all the blemishes as he purifies his church to bring it to himself. So you are the bride of Christ. You are one example of that. You are a lampstand burning bright for Jesus. And I've come by tonight to tell you just for a little while, and that's uh, the first lie I'm telling tonight, uh, <laughs> that uh, you need the Holy Ghost. Say amen. amen. Now, some of you got scared immediately upon hearing that. <laughs> and so I just want to pray then we're going to read the text, and then we're going to get into it. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the joyful music we have heard tonight in celebration that there is no God like the Lord. We give you praise, Lord Jesus. 
We give you praise that you saved us. We come tonight in humble gratitude that you have established this church, that in many ways you've given to it a glorious history that you have brought uh, to the people here, great preachers, great men of God, great women of God. We thank you for the unity and love that has been here, the ministry they have had to the people of this city. Lord, the encouragement they have been to other saints around the world. We give you glory for that, but Lord, it was not of their doing. All the praise and glory belongs to you. And so tonight, uh, even in a birthday celebration, we say, to God be the glory, great things he has done. We ask you, Holy Spirit, now to help me not to be presumptuous, but with clarity and boldness to proclaim the gospel and to exalt the name of Jesus and to teach the word of God, the word of life. We ask these things for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text tonight is found in the book of Acts, chapter 2, beginning at verse 41, excuse me, 42. Beginning at verse 42. Hear the word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Amen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I came tonight to tell you, you need the Holy Ghost. Now, as soon as you use the, the name, the Holy Ghost, or the Holy Spirit, if you're more Presbyterian than I am, uh, it sends a sort of a shiver of fear because there's so much bad teaching about the Holy Ghost. And uh, it's unfortunate, as it were, that it, when we try to give a positive message about the Spirit of God, it's as if we have to spend a lot of time trying to help you understand what we don't mean. Now, you cannot be a Christian without the Holy Ghost. You, you, you need to know this about the Presbyterian Church. The PCA, the Presbyterian Church, is a, a denomination and a religion based on the power and work of the Holy Ghost. It's all through our documents. We teach that a person cannot even understand the Bible. A person cannot even have faith. He can't have his eyes open to know that he's a sinner and needs the grace of God to be saved without the working of the Spirit of God. It's in our confessions. It's in our catechism. This is what we teach. And for us, the Holy Spirit, 
He is the second person of the Trinity. You know, we believe in how many gods? One God. But he exists in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Only one God, but he manifests himself to us through the scriptures as three particular persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. Now, this is kind of mysterious. And I, I guarantee you, if I could explain this to you, so there was absolutely no misconception, I'd be amazing. <laughs> but the, the Trinity is mysterious. Evidently, God meant it to be so. He, he reveals himself in the scriptures, even right in Genesis, when he talks about himself in the plural, and he says, let us make man in our image. And it talks about the Spirit hovering over the face of the waters. The, the Spirit has always been present. Oh, there's so many crazy heresies built around the Holy Spirit and, and the Trinity. One is that first there was the Father, then there was the Son, but now He's the Holy Ghost. That's, that's, some people call it modalism. Some people call it Sibelianism. It, 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 let's just call it a mistake. Okay? That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the Father has always been here. The Son has always been here. And the Spirit has always been here. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus had a birthday. But please, that's when he became human. But the Lord Jesus has always been the very Son of God. And the Spirit, he flows out of the Father and he flows out of the Son. That's what we say in our creeds. And again, it's very mysterious. How, how do they work together? But we know that they all showed up at Jesus' baptism. The Father spoke, said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. The Spirit descended on the Son in the form of a dove. They're all three always in existence. Hallelujah. Now, when I say you need the Holy Ghost, I am, I, again, fears come up because so many people have said the Holy Ghost is, is like the icing on the cake. He's the, he's the cream filling of the donut. He's the, he's the extra you get if you have great faith and, and if you expect miracles. Now, please understand this. Being Presbyterians, it's hard for us because, and, and you're going to say, why is he always attacking Presbyterians? Because we need to be attacked. We have such a cognitive religion. We, we are so intellectual. We are so academic. We, we want everything to make sense. Please get this. You, when you became a Christian, you were captured by a foreign spirit. The Holy Ghost is supernatural. We have a supernatural religion. It is not simply a religion of logic, a religion that everything we can figure out and we, we read. Now, I'm not discouraging you from reading or trying to figure things out. Go for it. But at the end of the day, you're going to realize something about the Lord. Uh, it, 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 Ephesians expresses it in a certain way. 
he says, uh, to know that which is beyond knowledge. What? To that, that, that's like a, a verse that Presbyterians would like to get rid of, but it's there in the Bible. This is stuff that is beyond us. The Holy Ghost is God. And when we come to the book of Acts, especially in the first chapters of the books of Acts, it, it, it's like an explosion. Uh, it's a revelation of his work. And it's wonderful. Uh, you could say you need the power of the Holy Spirit and you need the presence of the Holy Spirit and you need the production of the Holy Spirit. When I say you, we as the church need the Spirit of God. So uh, let me go over a few things quickly. First of all, I've already told you that if, if, if you cannot become a Christian without the Holy Spirit. So that means it equals the same thing. If you are a Christian, you already have the Holy Spirit. All right? He is not something that you get later. It's something, he is the one who enables you to be born again. He regenerates you. People will talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they'll say, that's your extra sanctification. That, that really takes you to a new level. And churches, some, some churches have been torn apart by that because people have come in and said, you're not a good enough Christian until you receive the special anointing and baptism of the Holy Spirit. What we, we want everyone to understand is that is what brings you to Christ. Now, Let's, let's just sort of take a, a quick review of what's happening in the book of Acts. Look at chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is preparing to leave and go up into heaven, to ascend into heaven, where he will sit on the right hand of the Father and make intercession for us and wait till that time when he is going to come and get us. We are waiting for that day even yet. But he says to his disciples this, in verse 8 of chapter 1, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So right there we understand that the Holy Spirit is the one who provides power for God's people. And frankly, brothers and sisters, you and I don't have the power we need unless the Holy Spirit is at work in our life. Now, the, the disciples here, they, they didn't quite get it. They didn't know what that meant. And they were told to wait. And so they waited in Jerusalem. And so we come to chapter 2. And, and this is the day of Pentecost. And this is where the word Pentecostal comes from. Because Pentecostals look at chapter 2, and they see this miraculous outpouring of the Holy Spirit. You, you know what I'm talking about? They were in the upper room. They were praying. They were doing exactly as Jesus said, waiting. On the, and then he came. And tongues of fire appeared behind them. And they began to speak in unknown tongues to them. They were known tongues to the people who heard them, but they had never learned them. This was the miracle I prayed for in Spanish 1, 2, and 3. I, it was an unknown tongue to me, but my teacher understood Spanish. Here, a miracle comes upon the disciples, and they began speaking the great things of God 
in tongues that they had never learned. And the people came running. Now, this is significant because here is one of the miracles. Not simply that men had the ability to speak a tongue they had never learned, but that there was a multi multicultural expression of the unity of the church. See, when, a lot of times when we are after the power of the Holy Ghost, we, we kind of go for the dramatic and we miss the obvious. I mean, that was an important line. You, you really need to write that down or something, okay? What, what, a lot of people, they, they talk about the Holy Ghost and what they want is, okay, Holy Ghost, let me have it. I want to speak in a tongue I've never learned. And I, I, want, I want the drama. I, want, I, I would like, in a sense, to be the center of attention. I would like to see people that I am worthy to receive the Holy Ghost. So let's get a few things straight. None of the apostles were worthy to receive the Holy Ghost. You are not either. What you get from the Lord every day, whether it's your daily bread or the fruit of the Holy Spirit or... Uh, his gifting to do whatever he wants you to do, all of it is by grace. You should know this about the Holy Spirit. He is the conveyor of grace. Everything we get from God that comes from the Holy Spirit, he is grace given to people who don't deserve it, all right? And his, his goal in giving you anything, whether it's the fruit, whether it's gifts, whether it's a special anointing to do anything, is not for you. It's to build up the body of Christ. So the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles. They speak in tongues they have never learned. But all of a sudden, and, and, and you sometimes take the time to do it, read through in chapter 2 every ethnic group that's mentioned. Now, they're all Jews. But they're not Hebrew-speaking Jews. They're Jews from all over the world. Later on in the book of Acts, we're going to cross the Jew-Gentile divide. That's also a work of the Holy Spirit. But already, right here at the beginning, you, you're beginning to see what the Lord wants the book of Acts to do. He, he wants to convince you that the gospel is not just for Jewish people. It's not just for Hebrew-speaking people. God's got a bigger agenda. And hallelujah, most of us here tonight are probably Gentiles, right? There might be a few Jewish people in the congregation. But without this, we, we wouldn't be in the house. Without, without the Holy Spirit crossing that divide from Jew to Gentile, we'd still be enemies of the gospel. We would be uh, people who didn't inherit the patriarchs, people who didn't receive the blessings. But you're in the house by the grace of God. So the power of the Holy Spirit came upon them. They, Jesus promised it to them, and then he gave it to them, and then Peter began to preach. And this is something else you need to know about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit came and spoke through all these different tongues and then began to speak through Peter in this fantastic sermon. You ever... Do you realize the difference in this guy in Acts chapter 2 with the guy who cut off the high servant's ear 
the guy who denied Jesus three times, the, the guy who told Jesus, no, 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 Lord, you're, you know, you're, you're not, we're, we're not going to let you get crucified. And all of a sudden, this person is different. This is what happens to you when the Holy Spirit grabs hold of your life and begins to form you and conform you to the image of Christ. You become different. Uh, some of you still remember the time of your conversion. You know what you were like before you came to Christ. And now you see yourself, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. And it was leading, that power was leading to something very particular. And it comes here in verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That's what the power of the Holy Spirit was leading to. The salvation of many, many people. Peter, as he preaches this wonderful, fantastic sermon, he comes to the climax of it. And now in verse 37 of chapter 2, it says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So when people believed, they received that gift. And the gift enabled them to believe. That's what the outpouring of the Holy Spirit leads to. That people get to hear the gospel and get saved. When I say that we need as a church, you need as a church the Holy Spirit. You need the Holy Spirit so that you can be productive like the early church was in the reaping of the harvest of souls. You are given the Holy Spirit so he might give you power to be a witness. How do you know if a church is a spirit-filled church? Well, is it producing spiritual things? And one of the spiritual things a spirit-filled church produces is evangelism. It's a gospel witness. It's a gospel proclamation. It's this great invitation. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so maybe we do, let's do a little examination here. Is that happening here at Redeemer? Are we seeing the power of the Holy Spirit unleashed in us? Not necessarily in the drama of tongue speaking, but in the drama of conversions. Are we seeing the unsaved brought to Christ? You know, I, I am afraid that the misuse of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit uh, leads people to get sidetracked into wanting drama in their life instead of wanting to see people come to Christ. But that's why the Holy Spirit was poured out on Peter. And man, was there production Look at verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. I would, I would say that's production. Can you imagine what a Redeemer would be like if Brother Elbert preached, and he came back and said, you know, I don't know what happened, but 3,000 people got saved yesterday, and they're coming at 11 o'clock. Man, 
And some of you would say, I don't like that. They're going to take my seat. <laughs> I think the Holy Spirit does powerful things in a church. Okay, power of the Holy Spirit. Now let's, let's see what his presence does in verse 42, which we read. It, it, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Their lifestyle was changed. Now, you might look at those things and say, man, that's church. And that's boring. And then you have to say, well, maybe you don't have the Holy Ghost yet. Because this is a precious thing. They had come to Christ and they wanted the word in their life. And they wanted to be with the brothers and sisters. And they wanted to break bread together. Now, because you're a cross-cultural church, a multiracial church, this has significance because it means that to become a Christian, it just doesn't mean that we all adhere to the same creed. It means we show up at the same table. The presence of the Holy Ghost in a church means that people are sharing life together. So if you say, yeah, I want more of the Holy Ghost. Well, here's one of the dramas. Be the church. Stop looking for the miracles in terms of, 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 of giving the lame the ability to walk and the blind the ability to see. Now, by the way, I'm not against miracles. And if the Holy Ghost wants to do that, hallelujah. Any, anybody opposed to God healing the sick? Man, I would hope not. But sometimes it's almost as if we Presbyterians act like, no, you can't do that. I want you to understand, we are a supernatural religion and people will get sick among you and you need to pray in faith that the Holy Spirit will heal them. You need to bring your sick to the elders, they should anoint with oil, and the prayer of faith will heal the sick. That's what the scriptures say. No matter how intellectual our religion is, do not discount miraculous power of God. But stop looking for the drama in miracles and start looking for the drama in being a body of Christ that shows that people who formerly hated, hated each other can love each other. Because that's what's going on here. See, it says, and awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. That's fine. We don't have any apostles. If God wants to do wonders and signs, glory to his name, that should not be our focus. Be the church. It says, and all who believe were together and had all things in common. Here's another sign of the Holy Spirit. Generosity. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and generous hearts. You know, uh, if you read through the first few chapters of Genesis, you see that, in, and there's this, uh, another passage in chapter 4, it sounds very similar to this. It says that if anybody had any property, they would sell it and come and bring it and put it at the feet of the apostles. 
And uh, it mentions Barnabas specifically that he had property. He sold it and brought that money to the apostles. What happened to that money? Well, we see it in Acts chapter 6. In Acts chapter 6, they're feeding widows. So the money of the church was being given to feed widows and the poor. That is a sign of the power of the Holy Spirit. Is there generosity here at Redeemer Church? Are we caring for poor people? Are, are we radical in that generosity? Or we always have an excuse why we don't have to give any more? This isn't talking about money for buildings. You know, the American Christian way of generosity is to have a building program. The people give more money to that than anything else. Well, poor people are going hungry. Well, people are being evicted and people are being homeless. You know, Calvin said this and St. Thomas Aquinas said it too. All of the property of the church is for one reason, for the poor. That's kind of radical. But I think that is the power of the Holy Ghost. So I need to stop, and I just need to sum it up by telling you this. The Holy Spirit's agenda is to be among his people so that the gospel might go out and produce more disciples who would come together in one body and be in awe of him and Believe in his power to do great and mighty things among them and that his power would be revealed in the generosity of their hearts and in the unity that they have in the faith. I, I, I want to just say this simply to you. You do not have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. You should pray to him. You should pray for him. You should act him to work among you. Do not be intimidated by all the mistakes people make about the Holy Spirit. Our, our, our religion should not be one that is famous for telling everybody what they do wrong. Our religion ought to be famous for living in the power of the Holy Ghost. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we love you, Lord. Spirit of Jesus, we love you, Lord. We, we want more of you in our life to be filled with you. We know, we know we have you, but Lord, we know that at times you fill your people and we know, Lord, that you produce fruit and we need more of that. Lord, we want to be your people upon this earth in a spiritual way. We want to be in awe of you. We we want to believe that you inhabit our prayers and our praises. Lord, we want to see you heal the sick. Lord, we, we want to see you cast, give us vision for great and mighty things. Lord, we pray that you would help. I pray for my, our own denomination, all of it, that we would be a spirit-filled denomination. That, Lord, we would see thousands and thousands of people come to Christ. We would see churches uh, repent of their racism. We would see churches repent of their materialistic selfishness. 
and that we would see, Lord, you, Jesus, in our midst. More of you, Lord. More of you. In your name we pray. Amen.